Praise the Lord. We are in lesson number eight here and why we believe the Bible and uh, making our way through these different lessons. Let me start with this quote by Adrian Rogers. He said, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who are afraid, those who don't know enough to be afraid, and those who know their Bible. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It is true, and I think anybody that's been a Christian for a while and you observe people, it is true that there is a clear difference in the person who knows and cherishes the Word of God. There's a, there's a clear difference on the inside. It comes out in the way they think and the way they act, the way they feel. But it's not only in the area of fear, but in all other areas. You know, David recognized that reading the Word of God was like opening the deepest secrets to the world, opening the deepest secrets of life um, that everybody is looking for. And when you open the Bible, that's what you see. Here's what he said in Psalm 119, verse 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. See, the, there is a deeper wisdom. There is a greater peace. There is a broader understanding in the person who knows the word of God. And the person who loves the Word of God, and really, as David said here, someone who keeps the Word of God. G.K. Chesterton, he said that most people just have a, this is interesting to me, but most people just have a few idioms or cute sayings or uh, sayings in their head, that, uh, and that's what they try to live by. I mean, the general population, most people... They, they have the, they've grown up and they've heard a few phrases and those are the things that kind of guide their life. Very few people have a fully functioning truth system that guides the way that they think. Uh, but not the Christian. The Christian has a solid foundation, a foundation, it's called the Word of God and it's not the shifting sand of man's changing thinking. It's, it's the solid rock that Jesus talked about that stands up to the storms. And that's what the New Testament is for the Christian. It's our fully functioning truth system. It's the foundation for us. It tells us what to believe about Jesus, our sin, salvation, heaven, hell, love, the church, and everything else that matters the most in the world. So last week what we did is we looked at the general summary of each of the Old Testament books and we tried to fly through those. This week we're going to do the same for the New Testament, so hang in there, okay? And hopefully again these little um, papers that we're giving out or uh, on your app, the lessons there can be a helpful tool as you're reading the Bible. And I, I, I just pray that by knowing the theme of each book, how God is represented in each book, and really how Jesus is seen in every book of the Bible will just kind of make things come alive as you do your own uh, Bible reading and studying. Now, real quick, before we jump in, the New Testament. The word testament is, uh, is another word for covenant or promise. The Old Testament refers primarily to the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. And that was, that's found in Exodus. The New Testament refers primarily to the covenant that God made with Israel and the whole entire world in giving his son to die on the cross for our sins, for all who ac will accept him and be saved. Anyone who will accept that is part of that covenant, the new covenant. 
So the New Testament is, about, is all about how Jesus comes, makes this covenant with his blood, and how he begins a whole new era called, we might call the church age. And that's what we see this, how we see the story of, of history, God's plan, unfold in the New Testament. The New Testament is a collection of 27 writings. It's composed over a period of only 50 years and by less than 10 writers. The, the, the writers themselves are apostles or they are companions of the apostles. So it's interesting. The New Testament contains different types of literature. You have biographies, you have history, you have letters or epistles, and then you have the prophetic uh, book as well of Revelation. So let's start. We're going to look at, first of all, the Gospels. The Gospels. The, the, the word gospel, again, as you probably know, means good news. And these first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, relate to the good news of Jesus Christ, His coming. The written, the purpose of them is to show the reader who this Jesus is and what He's all about and what He did on the behalf of you and me. And the purpose of these Gospels is not just to tell a story. That's what I think one thing we need to remember. They're not just a biography like we would read another biography. There's a purpose behind those biographies, and that is so that people would believe in Jesus. That is the reason they are written. And so the only correct response after we read one of the Gospels is belief. So the the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means to see together or having the same view. The reason is because those three are very similar to one another. They all begin with Jesus' ministry in Galilee in the north, then his journey south to Judea, and then his final days and his ministry in Jerusalem. The book of John is quite different than the other three. It describes Jesus' ministry back and forth between Galilee and Judah, kind of all over the place, but so powerful. It also contains very some unique episodes in Jesus' life in the book of John that we don't see elsewhere. By the way, I'm, personally, I'm reading the book of John right now in my own devotions, and I am just enjoying it once again so, so, so much. The book of John is just an incredible... Uh, book of the Bible. So let's take a bird's eye view of these books. All right, real quick, we're going to fly through these. Matthew represents God. He's the God of the Jews. The theme is the kingdom of God. Matthew is written by a tax collector turned missionary. It stresses the Jewish character of Jesus, emphasizes Christ's fulfillment in, from the Old Testament uh, scriptures. There's a genealogy about Jesus' position in there as a descendant of Abraham, the promised Savior. Uh, that was promised to Abraham, and then includes very, some very important and lengthy teachings from Jesus. Matthew makes sure he puts it in some of those long teachings, yeah, but like the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. All right, Jesus is seen in the book of Matthew as the Messiah, who is king. Then you have Mark, the God of the Romans. The theme there is the suffering servant, and written by a man named John Mark under the guidance of Peter. He was a, John Mark was a companion of both Paul and Peter, but Mark is interesting because it begins with the adult ministry of Jesus. It doesn't give his birth and the beginning uh, of his life. And it highlights Jesus' activity more than any of his uh, actual teachings. It's interesting, Mark is a book of action. It's fun to read because you see the words straightway and immediately Jesus went and uh, words like that. It just reminds us that Christians need to be word, people of Christians need to be people of action. We need to be busy, just like Jesus. And uh, Jesus is the Messiah, who is the servant. 
We see there in the book of Mark. Then the book of Luke, God is the God of the outcast. He's, uh, we see that Jesus is the perfect man. It's written by Luke, a companion of Paul, a historian and a physician. Portrays Jesus as the Savior of the Jews and the Gentiles. Very, very much brings up uh, those, the way that Jesus touched the Gentiles. We see that Jesus uh, had special interest in the poor. We see the role of the Holy Spirit, especially in the book of Luke, and the importance of prayer, some of the things that are highlighted there. Just again, this is a book that really reminds us that Jesus came for the entire world. Not just the Jews, not just the people in Jerusalem or wherever he was ministering at the moment, but for the entire world. And it's also, the book of Luke is also a fantastic book uh, from, a, from an apologetic standpoint. And the reason that is, is because as we read at the beginning, uh, Luke spent a lot of time researching and interviewing people uh, before he wrote. And so he really interviewed all the, the uh, eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. And so we get a lot of that written into the book of Luke. Jesus is the Messiah, that is the Deliverer. Who is the Deliverer? We see in the book of Luke. And then the book of John, God is the God of the world. And we really see John bring him out, Jesus, as the Son of God. Written by John, who is a fisherman turned missionary. And uh, John himself appears in the gospel as the beloved disciple. If you read that, you know he's talking about himself. One thing interesting about John is that when he talks about the miracles that Jesus did, he calls them signs. And that's really what miracles were. Uh, Jesus was doing these miracles as a sign to people that uh, everything he says is true. Uh, and he, everything he says about himself is true. Uh, I am God. I am the Messiah. Look what I can do, basically. And these are, these are visible proofs of what's really true. And so he, uh, John preaches that the that belief is the proper response to Jesus, and it includes the seven I am statements that absolutely drove the Jewish people, and especially the Jewish leaders, crazy. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. Jesus laid out the I am statements very clearly for them, and boy, were they angry. Jesus, we see in this book, is the Messiah who is God in the flesh. Those are the Gospels. Powerful, powerful Gospels. Thank the Lord that He put the Gospels for us from so many different lights to be able to see Jesus uh, from. Then we go into the history book, which is the book of Acts, and where we see uh, Jesus do some amazing things through the apostles and through His uh, his followers. We see the God of power there. And the theme, really, the book of Acts is the, the spread of the gospel. D- Jesus, d- or the book of Acts describes the local church, the growth of the church. And Luke, uh, again, who is the writer here, appears himself in the narrative toward the end of the book of Acts. Anytime you say, you see the word we as he's talking, that means he was there with the Apostle Paul. He recounts the Holy Spirit's coming with power at Pentecost, of course. Uh, depicted the early church and the leadership of Peter and James and the Apostle Paul as well. But the second half really focuses on the ministry and the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you read the book of Acts, you're bound to get pumped up. I do. I'm always pumped up after I read the book of Acts, and I want to win the world to Christ after that. I just want to go out and tell somebody about Jesus. But what a powerful book, if you think about it, what a powerful, powerful book for the church to have for 2,000 years. It just animates. It, puts a, it sets the fire under the church of God 
for 2,000 years to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And God is the God of power. Jesus is represented as the Savior of the world and the Ascended Lord in the book of Acts. Right after the book of Acts, the New Testament, now what's lumped together are the epistles. The word epistles uh, mean letters. and But the first section of epistles are all the Pauline epistles or the epistles written by Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than any other writer. And that collection of books is called the Pauline Epistles. He was, Paul, as you remember, was a terrorist turned to a bold preacher. He was a theologian. He was a writer. He was a church planter. In fact, he started more than a dozen churches, at least. But beyond that, I just want to mention that the Apostle Paul is often considered one of the most influential people in history, history of the world. If you think about it, Paul has had greater impact on the world's religious landscape, if you will, the world's churches, than any other person besides Jesus. And, you know, I was thinking about that, and we, we need the rough-and-tumble uh, fishermen like Peter. I was listening to a preacher uh, on one of those podcasts. I was listening to him, and he, I, I was listening to this guy, man. He was, you could tell he was just a Texan or something. Boy, he was just spitting, it, spitting fire, you know. And I said, this, this guy just reminded me of, the, of Peter, the fisherman, as I was listening to him. And then you listen to some other guys, and, I mean, your brain explodes. You know, you're trying to catch up with them and think like they're thinking. And the Apostle Paul had this way about him that uh, really could do both. But uh, the Apostle Paul was brilliant, just a brilliant, brilliant man. And you see how God used that, uh, really, to carry the message throughout the world for all this time. His impact is primarily through these letters that we're about to look at, and that uh, God has just used him so much. So we need the Peters, but we also need the Pauls. The Rome, book of Romans, um, there's hardly any other... Uh, epistle that can match the book of Romans. It's, it speaks of the God of righteousness. The theme is really the righteousness of God, and it's the most systematic of Paul's letters. It describes God's righteousness and that every human is a sinner who is justly under God's wrath. But God will justify that sinner if they place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to really show that God's grace, however, is not a license to sin. In fact, Paul really lays out the fact that the Holy Spirit is then given to that Christian so that he will not sin, so that it will enable him to live a holy life. And he ends with talking about Israel being uh, or not being cast off forever, and God still has a plan for Israel. And they will enjoy the spiritual blessing that God wants to give them. And really the very end then of the book is really about practical Christian living. This is why Paul is so, so amazing. He could put all of that together. And God, of course, inspired him to do so. But some of the greatest minds who have ever lived have not plunged into the depths of the book of Romans. It keeps theologians busy for a lifetime. And, and yet the book of Romans is simple enough for a child to learn the basic truths of the book of Romans. This is the amazing thing. Martin Luther said that every Christian should memorize the book of Romans. So there's your next task, okay? Memorize the book of Romans. Jesus 
we find in, in the book of Romans that Jesus is our justifier. He is our justifier. 1 Corinthians shows us that God is a God of holiness. The theme is really Christian conduct. So this is his first letter, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, and it deals with a whole list of uh, problems in the church. Disunity, immaturity, sexual immorality, lawsuits, questions about marriage, food, sacrificed idols, church confusion, Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts. He talks about the, the role of love, 1 Corinthians 13, of course. And then the, the doctrine of resurrection, which is the greatest treatise on res- the resurrection in the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. But I'm telling you that th- this, is how, this is why the New Testament is so amazing. This is why Paul's epistles are so amazing. Because, again, it gives a, a fully functioning, systematic way of thinking. And it gives us the truth on every subject you can, you can think of. And um, the, the amazing thing about the Apostle Paul in the, in the First Corinthians is just seen on every page, just how he lays all of this out for us. Jesus is the power and he is the love of God, as we see in the book of First Corinthians. All right, the theme here of Second Corinthians is that uh, Paul's defense of his apostleship, he really is defending his ministry. He's also encouraging Christians to be ambassadors of Christ to reconcile the world to him and to be good stewards of what God has given them. Jesus is our comfort. Uh, again, just some amazing things written in the book of 2 Corinthians. I encourage everybody to, to dig in there. Then Galatians, God is a God of justification. The theme there is the freedom in Christ that, that Jesus will give us, to those who believe in him. Now, this, this book is written to the, the churches in the region of Galatia. It's not one city, it's a region. But it's an important theological book that Paul wrote on justification by faith and not rituals. Um, here's what happened. The Galatians were, were really being troubled by false teachers. And one of the things the false teachers were saying is you must be circumcised. It's nice that you believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus too, but you still have to be circumcised as a Jewish, uh, under the Jewish law for acceptance with God. And Paul had to correct that. And that really is what the Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians is all about. But I just want to stop right here for just a minute. I, I, it always astounds me, and I don't really know why, but how soon the early church started to deal with false teachers. I mean, it was just immediately. You have a church, you get going, you get the truth, you got the gospel. Paul starts a church, gets things going, and just as soon as you can blink your eye, there's somebody coming in with some false teaching. So many of the letters that Paul writes are written to combat error. That's one of their main purposes. And it, error is always trying to creep in. And I've come to realize that even today that this will never stop being an issue. This will never stop being an issue until we get to heaven. There will always be a false uh, teaching. There will always be a problem that we have to fight. Jesus is our liberty, we find out in the book of Galatians. The book of Ephesians is about the God of unity. You see the God of unity. I love that. God brings together Jew, Gentile into the church. There's these amazing blessings he talks about, written to the church in Ephesus, not now in modern-day Turkey, and really displays the spiritual blessings for those who are in Christ and talks about that relationship that we have with Jesus. And it it really gives the walk of the believer. You know, here Ephesians really has a lot about marriage, has a lot about uh, parenting. 
if I had to pick a favorite epistle, if you were to nail me down and say, what's your favorite epistle? I think I would choose Ephesians. Um, because uh, the, spiritual, the spiritual blessings that are so laid out in chapter 1 absolutely just lifts me up to a whole new way of thinking. It kind of rises me above anything that's going on in this world. And then the book of Ephesians really closes out with such practical wisdom for everyday life. It's so powerful. It's such a powerful little book. Jesus, we see, is the head of our church. Then there's the book of Philippians where we see the God of joy. It talks about a joy-filled life there. It's written to this church in Philippi. We see purpose and love there. And there's a lot about joy and rejoicing in the book of Philippians. We see Jesus exalted as the humble servant. Remember that verse. For the joy that was set before him, he became a servant. He endured the cross. Uh, That's what we see in the book of Philippians. Jesus is our joy. In the book of Colossians, God of preeminence, the supremacy of Christ. The book of uh, Colossae was near Ephesus, and um, Paul wrote to them a lot of a lot of the same stuff that's in the book of Ephesians, actually. Putting off the old man, putting on the new. He's encouraging Christians to fulfill their duties as a believer. And, um, but again, there was heresy coming in the church, and they were tempted to worship uh, things outside of Jesus and look to things outside of Jesus, especially for some reason it seems like they were starting to think they should worship angels. And so Paul had to read re-emphasize and re-emphasize the preeminence of Christ. Let me read you Colossians 1, 16 through 18 as as a reminder. For by Him, this is an amazing, these are amazing words that God told Paul to write. For by Him, that is Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see what Paul was trying to get across to these Colossians. It is all about Jesus. It is all by him and for him and to him. That's what we're about. That's what we ought to be about. So we really see that message that Jesus is supreme in the book of Colossians. Then in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we see the God of encouragement. Uh, This is Paul's, one of his church plants uh, in Thessalonica. He writes both of these letters, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and primarily they're about future events. See, the church was having, again, some misunderstandings, and people were talking and saying things about death, resurrection, eternal life, how all that was going to work, and... Evidently, some of them worried that some of their loved ones who had already died, they were believers, that they're going to miss the Lord's return. Jesus is supposed to come, and, but they're dead. Uh, and so Jesus, or, uh, Paul went on to explain that the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet them in the air. What a great comfort Paul was giving to this church who was trying to wrestle with how is, how is all this going to end? And we really see that Jesus is our comfort there. And then Second the Thessalonians, the God of admonishment. It really is about living in that hope of eternal life. And it seems that some of the church members, again, were afraid that the day of Christ maybe had already come. Paul assured them, no, 
You, it, it has not come yet, and you need to be busy until Jesus comes. Don't worry. He'll come again. But right now, you keep, uh, you keep your eye on Jesus as you work for him. And uh, also gives very, a lot of assurance that he's going to take vengeance on his enemies as well. Yes, Jesus is the suffering lamb, but he's also a mighty lion. And uh, he is going to come and exact vengeance. Jesus is our returning king. Then the book of 1 Timothy, that we see the God of godliness. This is instructions for a young pastor. Uh, written to Timothy, who is, as he calls him, Paul's son in the faith. Encouraged him to be exemplary in character and conduct. He describes proper prayer and worship. He talks about the requirements for church offices like pastor and deacon. And gave the overview of, of church administration. So it's a powerful little book. And it really shows that Jesus is our ultimate, our faithful pastor. Second Timothy also is a charge to faithful ministry for this, uh, this pastor. This could be, they say, perhaps Paul's final letter that he, he wrote. He talked about, uh, you know, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. It's time for me to go. But he uh, commands Timothy to pass on the faith to the next generation. Disciple others. You have to keep this going. Preach the word with courage. And we really see Jesus as the leader of leaders in, in the book of 2 Timothy. I love the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, Titus, God of works. Um, is it really a manual of conduct? Titus, another pastor who uh, was in the, on the island of Crete. Paul encourages him to keep uh, performing your, your duties as a pastor. And keep sound doctrine. It is vital that we keep sound doctrine in the church. And I, I've shared this before, but there's a personal connection I have to the book of Titus. You know, Paul told Titus in the beginning there, said, uh, Titus, for this cause I left you in Crete. And then he gave some the reasons that he left him there on that island and didn't send him somewhere else. And as I was reading that and just asking the Lord what he wanted me to do with my life, I just sensed the Lord telling me, Luke, uh, Lodi is your Crete. <laughs> Lodi, Stockton, San Joaquin County is your Crete. For this cause, I've left you to do this work. And, um, and so really, there's just such a strong connection I have, even with that phrase, I know God has called me to be here. But I, just as a pause here, I just encourage all of us, if, um, if you haven't done it in a while, or I know many of you love the words, so it's not new information, but again, make a personal connection to the Word of God. Uh, let it speak to you personally about what's going on on a daily basis. And this is not just some, some words that we think of that are nice, but no, well, how is it impacting me in my life and the way I think? You know, uh, one of the things my wife does is that she uses her Bible as a, as a sort of journal to write the dates of when God gives her special words. You know, so she has in there next to a, a Bible verse on this day, uh, you know, I was, my, I was dealing with this with a friend and praying for them and uh, God answered this prayer. This is the word I got when I was having this child, you know, um, something like that. And then when you go back and look, you see the words God gave you at, at important key moments in your life. Just a powerful way to make a personal connection to the Bible. Jesus is the foundation of truth we see here in the book of Titus. All right, book of Philemon. I love this little book. It's a little letter that Paul wrote to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, who was a runaway slave who had received Christ. Paul says, Philemon, receive Onesimus back, but no longer as a slave, but as a brother. And he's even offered to pay the debt that Onesimus may have had. Jesus is our benefactor. Then we have the general epistles. 
which are all the ones written not by Paul, several different men, Hebrews. Some believe it was Paul, it probably was, but there's no name that's mentioned there. So uh, we don't know exactly who wrote this one. But it offers doctrinal truths about Jesus. You know, Jesus is uh, better, the book of Hebrews points out, he's better than the Old Testament figures. He's better than angels. He's better than Jewish ceremonies. He's better than the high priest. He's better than all the sacrifices. The Hebrews is trying to point out that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not about uh, all the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's one of my most favorite things, though, when I... The book of Hebrews talks about Jesus is not only the priest in the picture, but Jesus is the lamb as well. Jesus is the mediator, but he's also the one who gets on the sacrifice and, and dies for us. Uh, Jesus is, fulfills all those Old Testament pictures. Um, James, the God of uh, trials, we see this is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Really, it's about pr- practical counsel. Some say that James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. Then 1 Peter, this is all about responding to suffering. Uh, it deals with endurance and suffering. The word suffer or suffering appears 15 times, over 15 times. Again, like we mentioned, it's why it's such a good book for 2020, wasn't it? It's just uh, the perfect book to go through in the, in the Bible over this past year. Also highlights the believer's future glory. 2 Peter is a warning against false teachers. Um, and uh, reaffirms the second coming of Christ. First John is we see the God of love in fellowship with God. And you know, there's he talks about false teachers that denied that Jesus came in the flesh. But our love for God, he points out very clearly, our love for God is demonstrated in our love for one another and in our in sound doctrine. And Second John was written to warn against false teachers and talked about the need for walking in truth. And I just want to point out that 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, one of the things you see in the books that John wrote, and even in the Gospel of John, there's such a strong emphasis in two things, love and truth. You see this in, in Jesus, and there's a powerful balance, and it's so important that we have the balance of both as believers. Love and truth. That is, the, that is what, who Jesus was, and that is who we need to be. 3 John Talks about the God of discernment and condemns a love of preeminence. People who want to be preeminent in the church. They want to have their way. They want to be first. They want to be above everybody. And, um, and uh, I like what somebody says, do you walk into a room and, and say, I am here? Or do you say, there you are? <laughs> and that's a great, great way to think of it. Uh, pride is the enemy of hospitality. If we're going to be a hospitable church, we, there you are. There you are. We need to make others feel important. And some of the people in this room do that uh, so, so, so well. And I just thank the Lord for this church right here. The Jude, we see the God of protection. talks about contending for the faith. faith. There's a warning against deceivers here. And uh, it's sad because the, there were some teachers that had departed from the faith and took, taken on an immoral lifestyle. And, and uh, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus most likely, wanted to straighten that out. And then lastly, uh, we see the book of Revelation, the God of eternity, unveiling of Jesus Christ, written by John, of course, on the island of Patmos. Ends, you know, there's, of course, Jesus' judgment on the world, but then it ends in heaven, praise the Lord. Believers enjoying heaven. Jesus is King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. As we end here, I want to say this. Um, have you ever heard, or have you seen sometimes people, they have their Bibles and they've had those Bibles for years and it's, it's all mangled and messed up and there's duct tape on the sides and the thing's barely put together. And someone has said, if you have a Bible that is falling apart, you'll have a life that's not. <laughs> we, need, we need to wear out our Bibles, is the point. I just want to mention, though, I, uh, as, as a young person in this church, one of the people who've been here at the home church for so many years, Al Preeb. Uh, I remember actually him having a Bible like that. It was all mangled and messed up. Uh, he would bring it to church. Um, this week we went and visited Al uh, on Thursday there, and he's, he's soon going to be going and seeing Jesus. He, he, sat, he sat there, and they had taken him off all medicine and brought hospice in, and, and he said, you know, I am so ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. And, and even now he was saying there were people coming in from hospice and the nurses and all this coming in. He said, I, I have my tracks right here. I've been giving them to them. He said, I even prayed one, one of them, and they accepted Jesus as their Savior. And he's witnessing to people. He can, you know, kind of uh, barely get the words out. He's doing well, actually, but for this, at this moment. But, but as I, we visited him, I told him, I just said, I am so glad that you're finishing strong. What an example to me. Um, somebody who, who still cares about souls, still cares about people. And I just, that speaks to me so much. And as we were driving away, my wife and I, I, I felt that reminder again in my heart to make my life about the things that matter most. Do not end this life wasted on other things that don't matter. Point my whole life in that direction. The Bible is the only book that tells us what matters most. It is not wasted when we live by this book. And so I'm thankful for that example. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you.